Thanks, Tony. We are looking at this uh, set apart series. Uh, set apart means it's holy. We're talking about holiness. We're, you know, um, we're talking about, um, as a church, we've been talking about moving up, moving close, moving out, because we are the people of God. We are God's holy people. We are his possession. Uh, and that's what set apart means. We've, we're looking, as, as, as Graham said, uh, we're called to be a blessing to the world. We are chosen by God. And last week, there was 10 points that... Um, now, these are my notes, not uh, Brad's notes. So hopefully I got it right. We chose my God, it's, and it's not a mistake. Uh, it's actually a privilege. It shows how much he loves us. It, it brings comfort and joy, not comport. Uh, it uh, gives us purpose. means we'll be with him in eternity a beautiful anointing of his spirit brings encouragement to live out faith and means we are not alone and requires obedience was number 10, which he gave us. Um, you might remember that was, um, he had his nine and uh, he felt the need to do 10 and I'm just so glad that he included that 10 because it does require uh, being chosen by God is, is in a life of obedience I suppose as we think of uh, being clothed, what we're talking about is our identity uh, as, as, as God's people. Uh, we're taking on our new identity. We, it's who we are. It's the image of God. And uh, you might remember in Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2, we see uh, humanity are created in the image of God. Um, the image of God is, the word image is actually uh, is the word idol. Um, just like we're told not to make idols, God made an idol. He made an image, and, and we are that. And, and Adam and Eve were creating the image of God, and we know, of course, how that was, that was broken, that was marred, but it wasn't lost completely. We are the people who, who to be the image of God. And in Jesus, of course, the image of God was restored. Um, we see his... The whole of the, the New Testament talks about how he is the, the perfect image, the, the complete representation of God. He is the image of God. And so as we talk about being clothed, we're talking about our identity in Christ. I want to uh, read from uh, Isaiah chapter 61, um, and it's going to be the first four verses. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, uh, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. They will rebuild uh, the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. 
There's much in this, in this passage which we could focus on, but, but I really do want to highlight, there's a few words there, the Spirit is on me. The, the, this is the Spirit, this is not yet us, but this is actually, these are the words that Jesus used in Luke chapter 4 when in his public ministry, when he came out in his public ministry, it was this passage that Jesus used to, to have something to say. And, and so Jesus says, the Spirit is on me, anointed to proclaim news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, freedom for the captives, release from darkness, proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, comfort all who mourn, bestow on them on those who grieve, a crown of beauty. It's just beautiful, isn't it, that uh, those who are grieving are going to be given a crown of beauty. They'll be given an oil of joy, a garment of praise, called oaks of righteousness. Display his splendor. They will rebuild, restore, renew. It's this passage which does influence our understanding of our purpose. Uh, our purpose, as Graham mentioned, we see firstly God's purpose is to restore and heal. And, and that's where we, we get these words from, that God's purpose is to restore and heal a broken world, a, a broken world where the image of God has been shat, has been marred, it's been broken. And... and I don't know, one of the big struggles I had when I, particularly over, over many years was I think, well, if, if human beings are fully, in, fully sinful, which we know they are, how do we see good? Because don't we, there's times when we see people who are not believers at all doing wonderful things, remarkable things. Well, how do we reconcile that with the scriptures? And of course, the, the reason is because they actually, we each have the image of God broken, maybe a bit muddied up, but each of us have the image of, each of us are capable of doing something good. Each of us are capable of doing something lovely. Jesus spoke about even how we as in families know how to love. And what we see, I think, is, is when we see someone who, the atheist, person of any faith, or Christian, when you see them doing something remarkable, what we're seeing is a, a glimpse of the image of God that is in them. And it's a wonderful thing. But God's purpose is to restore and heal the world through Jesus Christ. He invites us, his church, to participate with him. Is, is that, does that amaze you? that God would even want us involved, that God would actually invite us into what he is doing. I'm sure he'd do it better with it by himself. Um, but here he's inviting us in to see his kingdom come, his will be done, and we speak about it in Penrith. And uh, we could just as easily, if we are in Blacktown, we could say in Blacktown or, or the Blue Mountains, but we include that in the wider community as is in heaven. The image of God is bringing restoration of our humanity. 
the perfect image of God is seen in Jesus Christ, God's own son. And he comes, Jesus comes to restore and to heal. He, he shows us what we are, our true humanity. And we're actually invited to come and to take that on board. We are, we are to, invited to clothe ourselves in Jesus. As the people of God, we have had the image of God restored to us in Jesus. And we are invited to join Jesus in that. But we have been given this anointing of the spirit of of the living God. Think back to Genesis where this remarkable image of how God makes Adam out of the the clay and the dust. And and I just got this image of this sort of clay model laying down. But of course, it's not the image of God yet until God breathes into this clay model and this this piece of dirt made clay actually becomes living flesh when the, 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 the spirit of God is breathed into him. And that's surely what is happening to us as, as we have the, Jesus has come to, to baptise with the spirit of God, to, to give life to us. We are therefore to proclaim good news to the poor. We are to bind up the brokenhearted. We are to bring freedom for captives. And Christian history has grand examples of these very things happening. Of proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour, of bringing comfort for those who mourn. We are to bestow upon those who grieve this crown of beauty, the the oil of joy that we get from Jesus as as being a part of his kingdom, about what he is doing. As we're anointed with it, as we live out, we enclose ourselves with the spirit of God, a garment of praise. We are to rebuild, restore and renew. We need to take on our identity. We need to be clothed with this new identity as the people of God, children of the living God, set apart for God's purpose to bring renewal and healing to the world. I'm going to go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, which right, we read, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly set love. Now, that's, these are the words of set apart, okay? These are the... As people set apart, God's holy chosen people set apart, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds us, Binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from, from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or D, do it in the name of the Lord. Jesus, we, um, we, this is who we are in, uh, sorry, uh, doing the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, to God the Father through him. This is our identity, clothed 
We are to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. These are the things that are just to be evident in our lives. We are to bear each, with each other in forgiveness. And I don't know if you've realised how rare forgiveness is in our society today. In our society, forgiveness is, is abhorrent. The fact that you would actually forgive someone, that you would bear the cost. But we as the people of Christ, those who are set apart, we are called to follow the example of our Saviour because he forgave us. We are to live a life of forgiveness. And you know what? Forgiveness hurts. And forgiveness is costly. And forgiveness is, is hard. And by ourselves, we are not able to forgive. But as we take on the identity of Christ through the Spirit, this is how we are to live. And I love how it says over all these things, so we've got compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience and forgiveness. Whatever we put over the top of this, Love. Love holds all this together. I was thinking of, uh, I'm not the biggest uh, football fan, but I can't imagine, I can imagine like for, for a young footballer coming up and playing, uh, playing for the first time for their team and they, they, put on, they put on their jersey and they run out in the field their identity has been given to them. They've, they've been, and now, what are they going to do? The, the footballer's not going to go out there and play cricket. The footballer's not going to go out there and uh, sit on the bench and want to do nothing. It's the identity has been given to them, and so they just want to go out and play football. And here we have this picture of uh, we who are in Christ, we have been given this identity, and it's a beautiful picture of the people of God. And we see it played out in history. We see, we see great compassion in our world because um, you've probably heard, you know, hospitals are, are such a Christian thing. Uh, care, we've spoken about how Christians have brought um, people for the plague into their homes to care for them. I've got, and so, so during this series, I, I want to give you stories of how we see this happening. So I've got two clips. Um, sometimes the video clips can say it so much better. Two clips of the reason why, uh, how the image of God have impacted believers of every generation. So hopefully... Christians took this Jewish idea that everyone is made in the image of God and confronted the worst elements in Greek and Roman society. And high on their list was the Greek and Roman practice of exposing infants. Christians collected abandoned babies and raised them as their own. It was, in effect, the first large-scale fostering program. It's one of the major changes in the world as Christianity supplanted paganism was the end of the deliberate exposure of unwanted children and 
and, and indeed the, the increasing objection to the practice of abortion because of this fundamental belief that all human life was, was equally valuable, that we all are made in the image of God and therefore cannot destroy each other. Christians also developed a special concern for the more than two million slaves of the Roman Empire. The first Christians had no social power, so the New Testament contents itself with urging masters to treat slaves as equals and urging slaves to love their masters. But as Christians gained in confidence and social influence, they expanded their goals. A Christian text written here in Rome in the second century urges wealthy Christians to use their money not just to feed the poor, but to buy up distressed souls, slaves. Instead of expanding their fields and renovating their villas, wealthy Christians were meant to purchase slaves they heard were being mistreated in the local district, bring them into their homes and treat them as family. In this very early period, Christians couldn't overturn Roman slave law, but they could modify the experience of slavery from within. One of the typical bits of the stories of the saints and the great figures of the fourth and fifth centuries, when they have a religious conversion or when they decide they need to be more serious as Christians, they free their slaves. It's as if that, you know, that's one of the things you do if you want to show you're serious, you set your slaves free. By the fifth century, Christians began to confront slavery head on. St. Augustine was one of the most important figures of the early church. He was a sometime resident of Rome and also the bishop of the port town of Hippo over the horizon. He's mainly remembered as a towering intellectual, but he was also involved in practical efforts to fight the slave trade that crisscrossed these waters. In AD 428, in a letter to a church colleague, Augustine tells of the horror of the ancient slave trade and of church efforts to thwart it. About four months prior to my writing this, there were brought in people assembled from various regions and especially Numidia by the Galatian dealers, for they either monopolize the trade or apply themselves to it with special relish, with a view to their being shipped out through the port of Hippo. There was not lacking a believer, aware of our custom in acts of mercy of this kind, who reported it to the church. Immediately, 120 people were liberated by our members. Hardly anyone could keep back tears on hearing the different stories about how they were kidnapped or press-ganged before being handed over to the Galatian slavers. It sounds noble now, but at the time, to their Greek and Roman neighbours, this Christian behaviour seemed odd and wasteful. It's sadly true that Christians didn't overthrow the scourge of slavery for many more centuries. It's equally true that in ancient times, they were the only ones doing something practical to subvert it. Although Judaism and Christianity begin in a world where, for example, slavery is taken for granted, both of them have what I sometimes call a long fuse. That is, they, they light a long fuse of argument and discovery, which eventually explodes and people realise, you know, actually we should do something about this. You free 120 slaves uh, and you have to feed them, you have to clothe them, you have to house them, 
you have to make sure that there's a way that they can actually live. Graham mentioned, uh, we're going to look at Mary Slezer. What a remarkable, remarkable woman she is. It's the year 1873. David Livingston, the pioneering missionary to Africa, has just died. Because of this, a great wave of missionary enthusiasm builds and the call for workers, specifically for Africa, begins to ring loudly. Though many people surrender their life to missions work at that time, our focus today is on just one ginger-haired, blue-eyed, small-framed woman called Mary Slessor. But Mary had two problems. One, she was a woman. And two, she was single. What would she really be able to do? Two years after the death of Livingston, Mary set sail from the docks of Liverpool, England for the continent of Africa, being only 27 years old. Soon after her arrival, she began to see the scale of difficulty and seeming impossibility of the work to which she had embarked to do. Overwhelmed by the spiritual darkness of witchcraft, heartless and brutal chiefs, and the horrors of slavery, one evening she fervently prayed, Lord, the task is impossible for me, but not for thee. Lead the way, and I will follow. Rising from her prayer, she had a renewed confidence and said, Why should I fear? I am on the royal mission. I am in the service of the King of Kings. Little did she know that her royal mission would actually last nearly 40 years. Mary would trudge as the first European and the first woman into some of the most deep and dark parks of African jungles. She befriended chiefs and brought peace between tribes, rescued countless twin children who witchcraft had destined to die. She was the first woman magistrate. She stopped the burial of servants along their masters. She taught the gospel passionately from village to village, seeing many profess Christ. Mary was even the first woman to appear on a Scottish Clydesdale bank 10-pound note. Because of her zeal, love, and peacemaking, Mary Slessor was given the title Queen of Calabar and Mother to All People, but her friends would call her Ma. Mary was daring, courageous, bold, and a true pioneer for the gospel. She once wrote, Every woman has a mission to accomplish on earth. Not my plans, not my glory, but God's plans and His glory. Yes, Mary Slessor of Aberdeen, Scotland, was a single woman, but she did not let that be a hindrance nor an excuse to her calling and service to Christ. Instead, she chose to live by her own motto, God plus one is a majority. It's a remarkable story that um, she, uh, the custom in, in some parts of the Africa was to, if there was twins born, you, you wouldn't know which one. One was obviously a demon uh, because they looked exactly the same, uh, but you can't tell which one is which, so you would, uh, they would discard both of them because they can't tell. And when Mary Slezer received, uh, took in two twins, they, oh, uh, she's, She's going to die. You know, this woman, this white woman's going to die because there's going to have a demon in her, in her household that uh, it, 
There was always this remarkable story about how they just were amazed, the, the people were amazed that, uh, that she did not die as these twins got older. But I just love the... Uh, why should I fear? I'm on a royal mission. I'm in the service of the King of Kings. How often do you think that? I must confess, not very often for me. When you think of woman's power, you forget the power of a woman's God. I shall go on. As a 27-year-old single woman, she must have been told many times, you can't do that. You can't do that. Prayer is the greatest power God has put into our hands for service. Praying is harder than doing. Praying is harder than doing. I can testify to that. At least I find it so. But the dynamics, dynamic lies that way to advance the kingdom. Pray on, dear one. The power that lies that power. The power lies that way. Um, I was talking about. I want to talk about discipleship practices and service. Acts of service, uh, acts of doing good for one another. And so we see in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good service. How often do we do that? We want to motivate each other. How can we encourage each other to do acts of love and good works? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but to take an interest in others too. Let me encourage you to uh, give to the work in India right now. Uh, Baptist World Aid has just one charity that will take gifts. Um, can I just say that if we aren't giving to the sufferings in places like India, when we have the inconvenience of just wearing a mask. Um, I think we need to check our hearts. Let me give you another example of uh, remarkable acts of love and worship, of, of good works. Um, there's a small church about 15 minutes that way in Londonderry, Londonderry Community Church. Uh, they have this, uh, they've been renting this shop front there in Londonderry called Thrive for many years. Uh, they just wanted to be a community hub, and uh, they're a small church. They meet in the the school, and uh, they do wonderful work in chaplaincy there. Um, just in the last uh, few months since the flood, uh, they've had they've been working with three three homes, three families who have had were devastated by the floods. They did not have insurance. Um, uh, one family. Uh, they, they were raising um, uh, roosters, um, prize roosters. They had 200 killed by the flood. Uh, so they've, now they've had their, their uh, income. But this small church, London Area Community Church, are actually rebuilding their houses, stripping. Right now they're up to the third kitchen. Uh, and I just, let me just say, is this not clothing ourselves with Christ? Is this not actually living life uh, as, as people who seek to act in love and good works? 
been encouraging people uh, uh, from May 13, um, which is only this, this Thursday, um, the Christian calendar says, if you look at any Christian calendar, it'll say the ascension of Jesus. And uh, we, uh, 10 days before Pentecost, is, was historic, traditionally when we understand Jesus went to be uh, with the Father. And the disciples were encouraged for 10 days to wait until power comes on high. And uh, there on Pentecost Sunday, the first Pentecost, Pentecost was an Old Testament um, celebration, a harvest celebration. And what we see there, of course, is the greatest harvest uh, results. In. And so we're encouraging, many churches are encouraging their people to pray and fast. Let me encourage you, if you've not fasted, um, it is, a, it is a, a good discipline to do. But if you just wish to pray, and we're going to be praying for different aspects of Penrith uh, on, on 13th hospitals, transport, police. I've committed us, the church, to pray for schools, because I know there's so many school teachers here in, amongst our, our community. And so I'm going to be encouraging us on the 17th particularly other churches are going to have a focus on a certain day, but we all can pray through asking God to do something powerful. Um, one of the pastors of the church are encouraging their church to pray, Lord, may we, may we say we've never seen that before, that the Spirit of God works in us in a way that we've never seen before. There are many churches, I think there's up to 15 churches in Western Sydney who are have taken this on board, and so let me encourage you. There's a, there's a sheet on or on the email. Um, we are, we're encouraging people to to fast and pray. This the great wait, ten days leading up to Pentecost, asking God's Spirit to come and to be to do something remarkable in us. So I'm going to pray, and uh, yeah, Father, it's, I want to thank you that we have many stories in, in church history of people um, clothing themselves in Christ, bringing healing, renewal, hope, restoration. Lord, I want to thank you for that remarkable woman, Mary Slezer, um, this single woman who, who just went against everything that the culture would suggest that she can't do, and equipped by your spirit, she did remarkable things. Lord, we thank you for the, the impact that she had um, in, in those areas of Africa where she, she ministered, where she brought life and, and healing, and she restored the image of your image in, in people's lives when, when they come to know Jesus. And I, Lord, I want to pray that you would breathe into us in a special way, that you'd fill us, fill us further with your spirit, the work of your spirit. May we never grieve your spirit. May we make room for your spirit, that your spirit may work in and through us to do wonderful things. I want to thank you for the Londonderry Church there, uh, their remarkable generosity in, in helping and, and serving others. Lord, I want to pray that they'll be a great example for us to, to give of ourselves so fully and completely, so generously for the lives, 
for others in our community. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.